They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom! You lovely ladies and gentlemen that listen to my episodes weekly, um, or if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. This is The Mercenary Podcast, and this is your host, Nurse Rick. Uh, And today, we're actually going to start off the uh, content with a nice little legal disclaimer, because I don't want to get sued into oblivion. So, today's episode is going to be reasons to stay out of the hospital, but the disclaimer is, this episode is not meant to be taken as me telling you not to go to the hospital in case of emergency. The hospital is for emergencies. If you are having an emergency, definitely, definitely, please go to the f***ing hospital. We want to help fix you. So, now that the disclaimer's out of the way, let's go into reasons to stay out of the hospital. What are some reasons to stay out of the hospital? Hospitals are incredibly complex institutions. You are an individual in the hospital, meaning your medical record number, name, and a date of birth. It's not very personalized. It, we, I mean, we try to personalize as best we can. Like, your nurses are pretty personalized, but like, doctors, specialists, consults, like, they've got so many people to see. It's really, really, really complex. And the longer you can keep yourself healthy and stay out of the hospital, the better it is for you. Reason number two, it's expensive. It can be incredibly time-consuming. You may miss weddings, graduations, funerals, work, grocery pickups, important stuff. Once you get to a point where you're a chronic disease patient, once you get admitted, your chances of being remitted... Number three, once you get to the point where you're a chronic disease patient, once you get admitted once, your chances of being readmitted to the hospital skyrockets because now... Your chronic disease, if you're not managing it right, is going to keep you having to go back for more. Number four, you get poked a lot. Not in fun ways. You get poked by needles constantly. You don't get a full night's sleep. You get new medicines that are going to have side effects that you never felt before. And they might jack you up a little bit. You meet about 100 new people and probably you never remember any of their names. The only ones you remember are the ones you liked, probably. Or the ones you hated. That's two things that make people remember you. Either they love you, or they hate you. Number five. You lose a lot of privacy. During us doing our job, we have to do skin checks. We have to do full body assessments. You may not always feel comfortable. It's not a great time. Number six, and this is the last one on this slide I have written down, hospitals are dirty places. There are risks to treatments. You have the risk of catching something worse in the hospital than when you came in. You have the risk of falling victim to a medical error that leads to harm. There is an endless number of things that are bad that can happen in hospitals. Generally, you come in thinking hospitals, oh, this place is a clean clean place. I'm going to go ahead and bring my kid, my toddler, to visit grandpa. And I'm going to give my toddler Cheerios. Or Starburst. Or nerds. And then you're sitting next to grandpa's bed. And he drops a nerd on the floor and he picks it up and he eats it. I'm not going to lie. Any nurse that sees that, it's going to gross him the f*** out. Because we know what all has been on that floor. Not great things. We do our best to keep everything clean and kill all the microbes that we can. But we can't see microbes. And you can't see what's on that nerd that your kid just put in his mouth. So, let's move on. Let's go back to complexity. Medical institutions. 
They're really complex, and your care is of the utmost importance to staff, but there are always barriers, like how many patients are on a doctor's chart for that day, how long they have to spend with you. Another thing is going to be supply chain issues. The best tools for taking care of you might be on back order, and we know they're on back order. We can't tell you they're on back order, but let's say, for example, we're out of ex-dwelling external catheters that sit on the outside of your, hoo-ha, of your hoo-ha and your willies and it catches the pee and pulls it away from your body. In the event that happens, you might have to do briefs, which means if you pee, you're going to have that shit sitting on your skin until someone's available to come in there and help clean it up. Let's say we have a shortage of saline and you need saline just to maintain your hydration level and the only thing we have is going to be LR or D5, stuff that we have to keep a much closer eye on. Um, you can have medication shortages. You can have other care supplies that are short, which means that the best tools that we have, I mean, at least as nurses, aren't going to be available to us. And it's going to make your care seem like we don't care. And it's just not true. We do care, but we can't control the supply chain. You are usually one of hundreds of patients in the hospital. The bigger hospital, the bigger hospitals are the more complex they are, the more patients and more beds, the more mix-ups can happen um, from patients getting the wrong limb taken off, patients getting the wrong surgery, the wrong procedure, the wrong medications, getting labs mixed up. You think you have cancer, but really the cancer is a person two floors down, down the hall on the Southwest wing. Um, but you guys, the names were just similar enough that the lab mixed them up and they put the results in wrong mistakes and shit happen. Happens to everyone. We're all humans working in the hospital. Um, best chance for that not to happen to you is to do your best to stay healthy and leave a lead a nice, healthy lifestyle that keeps you out of that as long as possible. There are practices in place to minimize all these errors, but people are people and mistakes are going to happen as unfortunate as that is. And you might be the one that it happens to. So minimize your risk by minimizing all your risk factors for getting these chronic diseases, they're going to put you in and out of the hospital constantly. And that's going to be the best way to stay out of the hospital. Another reason to stay out of the hospital is going to be the cost of hospital admissions. Healthcare has only gotten ex- more expensive over the years. And um, according to the health system tracker, cost of an inpatient admission doubled from 2008 to 2018. In 2018, the average cost of a standard admission under a large employer plan was $24,000. A surgical admission, however, was $47,000. That's a lot of money. Insurance covers a lot of it. But remember, if you think back to our health insurance thing a few weeks ago, um, you have this thing called coinsurance once you meet your deductible. And if you don't have a savings saved up, we'll help you with a payment plan. But it's going to take you quite a while to pay that shit off. And if you keep coming in for readmissions, it's going to keep getting more and more expensive. And then you're going to be buried in medical debt. And that's never a good thing. So, another thing with insurance is even Medicare and Medicaid require some form of co-payment, co-insurance for hospital admissions. So, even if you're on plans that are for people that really need help or you're over the age of 65... They still expect you to pay on those. That's not going to pay all your costs. Uh, Someone's going to have to pay those doctors and those nurses, the respiratory therapists, physical therapists. They need their money for the work they did. And 
at the end of the day, they're going to expect something from you from it. So be aware of that. Some things are priceless in hospitals, like the time you miss with family. Um, I've personally had patients that have missed weddings. They've missed funerals of loved ones, like mom or dad. They've missed court dates, which means you get out, you get to feeling better, and you're still going to have to go back to court at some point um, for any number of things, whether it be a custody hearing of children, whether it be drugs, X. Um, it could be a lot of things. So please, please keep yourself out of the hospital as long as you can and keep yourself as healthy as you can. Readmission rates. Another thing, uh, another reason to keep yourself out of the hospital. Once you're admitted, uh, once you're an admitted patient with a diagnosis, uh, <sighs> once you're an admitted patient with a diagnosed chronic illness, you generally are far more likely to be readmitted to the hospital due to unforeseen complications from either your illness progressing or from complications of the medication treating your illness. There's been a stigma about drugs. It's like, well, once you get on this one prescription, you're going to need another prescription to fight the side effects of that first prescription. And then you're going to need a prescription for the prescriptions prescription to fix the prescription prescriptions prescriptions side effects. Um, and really, it's all band-aids. It's all band-aids. If you don't have something that you were genetically born with that's it's messing you up, like cystic fibrosis, which is very genetic and not really something that you just kind of catch randomly. Um, if you have that, yeah, hospital. If you don't have anything and all of a sudden you develop COPD and emphysema, it's going to be a bad time. Most common illnesses that lead to readmissions are advanced COPD, diabetes, heart failure, stroke, cancers, depression. Uh, most of these division, uh, most of these conditions you can work to prevent from cropping up in the first place. If you take care of yourself, if you try to lead a healthy lifestyle, I'm not saying don't go out and have fun occasionally. I'm just saying don't go out and have fun every single night. Um, you only live once and you could really shorten that one time if you do shit like that. So just don't do shit like that. If you develop these conditions, you must take it upon yourself to manage them to the best of your ability, going to your follow-ups, taking your medications as prescribed, educating yourself about your condition so you can manage it at home. We help educate you on it, but we can't sit there and tell you every single thing in the hospital room right before we discharge you. Because I don't have a textbook and six hours of your time to take up that you're going to remember all of it. So we're going to give you some resources. We're going to give you some education on how to take your medications and everything and what this disease is, how it progresses. But ultimately, when you, gotta, when you go home, you got to take it upon yourself quite a bit. And you got to be prepared to do that. If you're not prepared to do that, do your best to not live a lifestyle that's going to lead you to one of these diseases. All kinds of information out there on the internet. You have a supercomputer in your pocket. Please educate yourselves. Making the proper lifestyle changes slows the progression of your condition to sustain the best possible quality of life. You have quantity of life and you have quality of life. You can live forever on peg tubes and on a ventilator. Um, we'll keep your body alive. But what's your quality going to look like if we have to do that? Then really think about it. What's your quality of life going to be if you just keep making poor decisions for your long-term health? And you wind up on one of those those treatments and you just keep deteriorating and you wind up in a wheelchair for 10 years, 10 years of your life in a wheelchair. 
Is that fun? Does that sound like a great time? I don't think it sounds like a great time. Don't, I don't want it to be me. That's all I'm going to say. If that's your choice. That's your choice. I don't want it to be me. Do you like needles? And do you like sleep deprivation? If you do like these things, the hospital is a great place for you to be because we will be in there almost every morning to draw labs from your veins, which means you can get poked anywhere from one to a thousand times. Especially if it's someone that's really new and they're really nervous about poking people, um, they might miss. And we require them to miss before they go and get a charge nurse or call IV team. We require multiple misses before we keep leveling up the levels of experience people to come and grab your blood. When in the hospital, IV access is mandatory, so we will poke you until we get an IV. We need it in case of emergencies. If things go bad, we're going to need a way to get drugs, IV, into your system instantaneously to start to try to reverse the bad. If we can't get IV access, guess what? We drill into your bone. We put in what's called an IO or intraosseous line. And it is basically a drill bit that has a catheter kind of attached to it. It's pretty stiff. It's like a, it's really a stiff steel needle, I'm pretty sure. But we'll drill that into your bone and we'll hook up a lure lock to it. And then we'll hook up IV tubing to it. And then we'll give you meds directly in your bone. And it hurts like a bitch. IVs will infiltrate. And they, are, they may hurt like hell or not hurt, but it depends on the medications you have going through there. A thing I have to do frequently is give potassium for what's called K-Mag protocol. When your potassium is low, you can start having arrhythmias in your heart. That's not a good thing. If you have arrhythmias in your heart because your potassium's low, I have to give you potassium. I usually, if it's low enough, have to give it through IV because there's no other way to get your potassium up fast enough or at least in a way that's not going to make you nauseous and puke out all the potassium I'm giving you if I give it to you orally. Um, so yeah, it's going to go through your vein. And guess what? Potassium irritates your vein like hell. It's going to hurt. It's going to burn. But the best I can really do is put a nice pack on there, give you a larger bore IV, which means I have to stick you again, and then run the potassium through it anyway because you need your potassium. You'll have to get blood draws almost every day. I kind of already covered that, but we're going to poke you until we get that blood. I'm not, I'm not going to stop harking beyond that. Like if I miss and I'm pretty decent at getting blood from veins, I'm going to have to call someone else and guess what? They're going to poke you again. Depending on which level of care you need, you may be woken up every two to four to eight hours for vital signs and assessments. You may or may not have alarms frequently going off. Throughout the night, alerting the team of O2, heart rate, blood pressure abnormalities. Um, it might not even be your alarms going off. It might be the patient that's withdrawing from alcohol in the room next to you that keeps trying to jump out of bed and setting off the bed alarm. And then you're going to hear people running down the hall to try to stop them from getting in a fight with the concrete floor. So, try to keep yourself out of the hospital. On to the next one. The next thing is loss of privacy. We try to protect your privacy as much as feasibly possible. Sometimes shit happens. When you're in the hospital, expectations of privacy better change. I really hope you're not scared of strangers seeing you naked. If you had a fear when you were a kid of public speaking and try to picture everyone in your underwear, well, we're all going to be picturing you naked because we got we to gotta get clothes off. We got to do assessments. It's um, invasive. But 
it's the only way we can really see what all is going on. So we try to try to do our best to accommodate wishes of privacy, keep genders the same. Not always possible. Head to toe assessments means head to toe. Four eye skin assessments means there's two providers in there that have to see all of your skin when you first get there for an admission. Four visible injuries, cuts, scrapes. Not that we're going to treat every single cut and scrape we're going to see, but we're going to try our best to chart every single one of them so no one comes back and says it's our fault in two weeks when you get out of the hospital and be like, well, she didn't have this bruise on her shin two weeks ago, or she didn't have this bruise on her butt cheek two weeks ago. Yeah, she did. I charted it when she got there because I had to look at her butt. So that's, yeah, have to. It's part of my job. Can't get around it. Let's see. If you're a fall risk, then a staff member has to accompany you to the bathroom to make sure you don't fall while using the bathroom. I used to be a, a shy peer in the men's bathroom, even in urinals with dividers in them. I couldn't pee if there was a full-grown man standing next to me and I was 16 years old. That's just a thing. Couldn't do it. Now, I have to stand in there while men and women are peeing. And they're like, can you please not look at me? I'm like, it's a safety thing. I have to absolutely keep my eyes on you. The hospital will rail my ass if I don't. They're like, well, I'm a, I'm a shy peer. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a you problem right now. But uh, yeah, be prepared for that. If you're being cleaned up by caretakers, it's likely, um, well, I wouldn't say likely. There is a possibility that someone's going to get rooms mixed up and whether it be dietary, a provider, um, someone else's family, your family. If we got you turned on your side and your uh, booty cheeks are hanging out and they open up the door and walk in saying, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's happened. Hospital doors don't have locks. We close the door. We close the curtains. Um, but that shit still happens. So there goes your privacy. All right. Are you guys ready for the last point? Because we're at the last slide. Hospital risks. Hospitals look clean, but we because we keep them looking clean 24-7, we've got environmental specialists. Their names change many times over the years. Janitors, environmental specialists. It's the people that work their asses off to keep everything disinfected and everything clean, um, aside from your nurses and techs. Um, they're in there 24-7. They're cleaning up spills. They're cleaning patient rooms. If a patient had C. diff or an aerosolized respiratory virus, they'll give it a certain amount of time. They'll go in there with protective gear on, and they spray everything with, um, with microcidal. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Virocidal, microcidal. Anything, any, okay, anyway, it's a kind of cleaner that will kill fucking everything. They do. They go in there, they spray it, they wipe everything down. It's fantastic. Room could have smelt like GI bleed 30 minutes before they went in there. They leave, it smells like fucking lavender. Okay, that's an exaggeration. Not lavender. It smells like hospital cleaner, but it smells way better than it did. I'll take hospital cleaner any day over C. diff and GI bleeds. But anyway, they look clean. They're not always clean. They're one of the most infection-ridden places you can be. Um, hospital treats all kinds of diseases. Infectious diseases are the scariest. Um, people walk in there, depending on what part of the world you're in, with Ebola, with malaria, with C. diff. All this kind of shit goes into the hospital. So the hallways look clean, but when you have to transfer patients around, can't control it. We can't see it. 
Um, some of that shit might get onto uh, walls, the floor, and it's getting on your shoes. And when you walk home with that shit on your shoes and you walk it into your living room or where your dog eats or where your kids eat or where they play on the ground, that might be a problem. Not saying it always happens, but it's a possibility. Definitely a possibility. Scary possibility. It's why I take my scrubs off first thing when I get home and jump in the damn shower. Because any nasties that were in the workplace, I don't want to bring home to my friends and family. So, don't go to the hospital if you don't have to. Medical errors do happen. Um, the more often you go to the hospital, the highly, higher the likelihood of an error happening to you is. Um, let's think about this like the lottery. All right. Um, you buy more tickets to the lottery. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. It just means my stats professor would absolutely rail me for saying this it means you have a higher likelihood of one of those tickets being a winner right if you keep going to the hospital the more lottery tickets you get the higher your chances of winning an error happening are to you we'll phrase it like that and we'll just keep moving it can range from a medication error it happens someone forgot to cut your metoprolol in half in the med room Cool, you got an extra 12.5 milligrams of metoprolol when you usually take 12.5. They figure it out. They talk to the doctor. The doctor says, just watch them. Cool, stuff like that happens. Then you got shit that happens like the um, the nurse that got, I think she got sent to jail, the Tennessee nurse. Um, I'll have to refresh my brain on that case, but not right now. I'm in the middle of recording. Um, where she goes to type in a drug, grabs a complete wrong drug out of the... Um, Omnicell or Pixis or whatever medication dispensing um, machines that they use in that hospital. Grabs a complete wrong drug, puts it in, patient dies. Um, Dennis Quaid and his wife back in whenever they had their twins, um, nurse grabbed the wrong dose of heparin because they had two very, very similar looking vials of heparin right next to each other in the medication machine. Um, but they were different. They didn't look very different, but they were different doses. She grabbed the wrong one, gave him, I think, a thousand times the dose, and the kids almost died. Those errors happen. They happen all the time. Um, as reported by Stat, the third leading cause of death in 2016 was medical errors. The third leading cause of death was medical errors. Behind what, you may ask? Behind heart disease and cancer. Though the American Heart Association number of uh, 98,000 deaths due to medical error does not put that as the third leading cause of death, even still almost 100,000 people accidentally died of medical errors. And that might not have been all in hospital. That could have been in other, you know, facets of healthcare as well. Clinics, stuff like that, going for outpatient procedures. Um, but still, I don't want to be one of those stats. So I'm going to try to keep myself as physically healthy and emotionally healthy as possible so I can just minimize my chance of going to the hospital. Not everyone has that luxury. I understand some people are born with things, congenital heart disease. Um, some people get type 1 diabetes when they're young and it's not necessarily through any fault of their own. Um, but if you don't have those things, don't try to win a wristband to, to go to the hospital with something that you could have prevented. Trust me, just... Live, live a healthier lifestyle. Make some sacrifices on some fun um, and, and keep your, your vassal working as long as you possibly can in this life. Because um, you don't get repeats. You, some mistakes you can only make once. 
please don't make those kind of mistakes. This is a try to make it a funny episode, but it's also me being very serious. So anyway, that does it for this week's episode. Um, Go check out my website. It's mercenary.com. Go check out my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter slash X, Rumble, YouTube. Um, It'll be a good time on there. We're gonna we're gonna party it up on those platforms. Let me tell you. Um, anyway, this is Nurse Rick, the Mercenary, signing off. And I hope that you beautiful people have a wonderful week. And uh, while you're missing my voice, find some ways to live healthy and stay out of the hospital. And I'll see y'all next week. Bye.